J.G. Hertzler is an actor, director, and writer who has played many parts in film, television, theater, and video games. I'm most excited to talk to him because he is one of the few actors to portray more than seven roles in the modern incarnations of Star Trek, including General Martok on Deep Space Nine, a Herogen that wrestled Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine on Voyager, and one of my favorite Klingon characters, Advocate Kolos, who defended Scott Bakula's Captain Archer in Enterprise. But us leapers know him best as Weathers Farrington, Kate's father who tried to convince her to marry Vincent Loja against her will in the Quantum Leap episode, Sea Bride. Hello, Mr. Hertzler. Welcome to the Quantum Leap podcast. It's nice to talk to you. Is that Quantum Leap I hear? This is Weathers Farrington III. I'm watching myself and being very amused. Here he's having his... This is very funny. I know that's my daughter talking. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're watching a scene of me talk to my daughter about getting married, and my daughter is here watching the scene with me. Anyway, I'm going to turn it off now. Thank you for uh, watching it. I know I've never seen it. I said, "Well, wait a minute. Uh, I think I better watch this because it was uh, a lot of years ago. It was '89, I think, or yeah, maybe before, maybe '90s actually. Twenty-five years. Anyway, old. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to remind me of that very much. <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm the I'm the sort of the proper age now. But I was um, at that point when we were uh, when I was I was auditioning actually for the captain of the ship, and uh, Deborah Pratt said, uh, you know, I think you could play the father. And so Belisarius came. She called in Belisarius, and he walked through and said, Yeah, he goes he goes old, she goes young. It's fine. Do it. It's done. And walk out. <laughs> and that was the casting. That was the complexity of the casting. Wow. That was, um, yeah, it was fun down in, uh, uh, where was it? The Queen Mary down in uh, Long Beach. What are your memories of uh, filming that episode? Uh, tell me all about it. Well, it was shot on the Queen Mary, which is, you know, uh, sort of beached in a small lagoon there at, uh, in uh, Long Beach, California. We shot it on the actual ship, which was beautiful. It was stunning. Stunning. And, um, so that was fun, uh, the whole thing. And, you know, Scott, you get a chance to punch Scott with that big old schnozzer here. That, uh, <laughs> I really like that. Um, he's a wonderful guy. I mean, I didn't know him before that, never met him. And Dean Stockwell was one of my favorite actors of all time, so that was fun. Although I didn't, you know, I didn't have any, nobody had anything to do with Dean except uh, Scott. But, um, yeah, and uh, James Harper, the guy that played the uh, Jenny the Viper, was a friend of mine after that. I didn't realize we both auditioned for uh, this pirate, uh, Black Dog, in uh, uh, Treasure Island film, which apparently was shot. But the, um, the cinematographer for this was a guy named Michael Watkins, and uh, I didn't realize it until I looked at the credits of this film, but uh, of this episode, but he was also the cinematographer on the uh, later production of uh, Treasure Island that we did. It's funny, these things all fit together. If you look back at a career, how odd is that? Michael Watkins was a cinematographer on Seabride, Quantum Leap. Then he was the cinematographer for Treasure Island, The Adventure Begins, which was a basically a long, it was a major TV movie, but it was made by uh, Steve Wynn in Vegas to be able to advertise the opening of his new casino, Treasure Island. And it ran, that movie ran... Oh, it's weird. It, it ran 24-7 uh, at the casino, at the hotel. So the people that came, it was on the air. It was, you know, it was on NBC as well, but it ran 24-7 for like a couple of years at uh, Treasure Island. 
But uh, Ira Stephen Bear, who is the executive producer of Deep Space Nine, his parents, or one of his parents, lived in Vegas. So he would take his kids to see their uh, grandparents in Vegas, and he would stay, and he stayed at Treasure Island. And he saw me play Black Dog, and uh, that is because his kids loved Black Dog. That's basically why I got cast as Martok. Wow. In the DS9. That's crazy. That's right. That's how it happens. And um, what's odd about that is that the woman who was in uh, uh, what Treasure Island, what the movie was about, was a little kid uh, who sees a painting come alive. It's a painting of a sword fight between Long John Silver and Black Dog. And the, Anthony Zerbe played Long John Silver. And he and I come alive off this painting and continue this sword fight and this chase for the map. And uh, I'm trying to get... The little boy is sucked into the thing that evolves from this painting. The little boy, his fantasy, he's sucked into it. And he becomes Jim Hawkins. Jim Hawkins, eh? And um, anyway, I'm chasing him around for the map. Give me the map. But his mother, the woman who plays his mother, later is cast as my wife, as Martok. She's cast as Sorella. Oh, wow. Uh, it's space nine. Uh, so Shannon, I already, and I already knew her from that uh, from the movie I did with her. And uh, the reason I brought up Jim Harper was I think he also read for Black Dog. He got cast as something else. Uh, anyway, we had a, it was a strange connection over a couple of decades there. Of, uh, but that's how, that's how it works. It's a kind of a small town. That's pretty awesome. I, I got to watch that now. It sounds interesting. Oh, it's well, it's fun. I, it, it it includes uh, Steve Wynn put everything he could into it of what he does in Vegas. So the, he had uh, uh, Cirque du Soleil because he was opening not the Mirage. Or, yeah, I guess it was the Mirage. He was opening the Mirage and Treasure Island, and he had the Cirque du Soleil doing performing in the Mirage. In uh, so he put them into this film. At one point, I jump off a platform about 60 feet above the stage at the Mirage, and come. To, that's the entrance. Uh, I come down a rope, and it is a long way down. When you look down from 60 feet above the stage, and Cirque du Soleil is at the bottom doing strange things, that took every bit of time <laughs> to come down that rope. I had a wire on me, of course, but uh, it was a great entrance because the black stuff, the black cape billowed out, and... My black hair, I was all black, it was great. Anyway, that is, that's the connection between, and then later, of course, I did, uh, I, I got a chance to work with uh, Scott again in, uh, uh, in Enterprise. Um, I love the episode where you, uh, you were, played the lawyer, what was his name, Kolos? Yeah, Kolos, it was the, they called him an arbiter, or, I think, but yeah, it's basically mm-hmm. a Klingon lawyer. Which is great because a Klingon, if you, if you lose a case, evidently, in, in Klingon law, you, the lawyer goes to jail, too. And I think that's the way it should be. <laughs> that's a good motivation to win the case. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> I really like that episode of Enterprise because it showed that not every Klingon is a warrior, that there's actual people that uh, make the world work, too. Yeah, I like that, too. Um, and uh, I liked, uh, I had a couple of very, very, very nice speeches to Scott in his cell. And uh, <laughs> another funny thing about that episode was... Um, Scott and I were back in their caves at one point uh, on Ruripente. We were back loading up huge chunks of mica. You know, it's dilithium, theoretically, but it's big chunks of mica. And they were very heavy. But we were sitting just around the corner in the cave because we had to make an entrance 
carrying the stuff into the camera, with the view of the camera. But we'd sit back there waiting until we said, and I said, and we were talking, I said, you know, this reminds me of uh, other jobs I had before I got into acting. <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, I was an electrician. So Scott did electrical work, mm. and I did uh, concrete curb and gutter. And we were talking about our, our money jobs before it all, uh, you know, before we got to work regularly as that. Did uh, talk of Seabride come up while you were working together on Enterprise? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you remember. Because, uh, you know, the first thing I did was punch him in the nose. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I have no depth perception because I have a bad left eye. Mm. That's why Mark talked. Uh, it didn't bother me to have that eye covered because I have a, a bad left eye, amblyopia, and I don't really use it. They first tried to cover the right eye. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I can't. I'll knock over everything. I can't see. But, um, oh, and Michael Watkins uh, was the cinematographer for Seabride. Uh, I think he was probably did most of the episodes for Quantum Leap. But then he was also the cinematographer for that Treasure Island thing. And then later he became, I believe, he, he worked on uh, one of the Star Trek series. I'm not sure which one. Maybe it was Voyager. But um, anyway, it's, as I say, it's a small town. This episode, Seabride of Quantum Leap, it's the one with the most yeah. guest stars of Star Trek in it. Is that right? It's got you, and it's got Beverly Leach and James Harper, which were both in episodes of Star Trek. And, of course, Scott Bakula. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Well, Jim Harper, too. Wasn't Jim, uh, didn't he do something in Star Trek? Yeah. He did a Deep Space Nine. Yeah, so that's it's, I uh, thought so. It's full of uh, Star Trek alumni there. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's cool. Pretty cool. Um, can we talk a little bit about your character of Weathers Farrington, and uh, how did you feel when you were uh, doing those scenes when you were trying to convince Catherine to get married to Vinny the Viper, which she didn't want to do? I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what I was thinking back then. Okay. I think you know, as most actors do, I think you know. I hope I'm not. I hope I look old enough. And I, and I really. Without a mustache, I, uh, especially, without a beard, especially, but without a mustache, I, I looked like I was about 12. And uh, I, so I would have looked even younger back then, but I thank goodness I had that mustache, because that it helps a lot. But my, I was, you know, I was thinking such things as, I hope I look old enough while I'm doing this. Uh, she looks incredible. She looks, I'm not sure, what did she, did she do, did you say she did a, a, a Star Trek? Yeah, she did a Voyager. She did a Voyager. Oh, she was a Voyager. You know what she did? Beverly Leach, she played an alien with um, Ron Glass in an episode of Voyager where they huh. pretended to be doctors, but they weren't. Taking over a ship, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Something um, like that. Well, that's interesting, yeah. You did a Voyager too, right? You were a Herogen. Uh, yeah, I did. A, I played a Herogen where I had to, uh, I had to wrestle with, these, with uh, Seven of Nine and uh, Rough that job. Was, uh, very tough. That was, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was tough. But she is one of the stories about that. Of course, was she? Uh, she was worried that she wouldn't be able to look adept enough uh, at um, the martial arts, even though they had a they, well, they had a uh, stand-in for her and a stand-in for me. We're both medalists in the uh, in the Seoul Olympics in martial arts. And uh, at one point, I was. That is, his name was Ernie, I think, and I, he's done very well. But he was just breaking into the business back then, and um, at one point he was rotating horizontally about five, six feet in the air, and was pretending to be me. <laughs> and my daughter asked, "He said, Dad, that's really impressive." I said, yeah, well, I, you know, I remember a few things in my old martial arts days. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, 
she wanted to look good, so she called a special rehearsal on a Saturday, uh, seven and nine did. And um, so we all showed up. Everybody involved in the uh, fighting showed up. They had a brilliant fight choreographer along with Danger Dennis Madeline. But they had a couple of martial arts guys there, too, that were phenomenal. And um, they said, um, uh, oh, she called it about 9 o'clock. Everybody was there at 9 o'clock, warming up, ready to go. And she didn't get there for some reason until about 10.30. So, well, first of all, you never rehearse in Hollywood on a Saturday. It just doesn't happen. But everybody understood, and it was 7 at 9, for heaven's sake. She came in late, and she was so embarrassed. And... Um, they said, okay, go ahead and warm up. Take her, take some. She said, no, 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 I'm ready. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to go. So the first move she had was I did some sort of a spin move and, and fake hit her on the back. So she uh, lunges forward. And when she lunges on that first step, she like pulled a gluteus maximus muscle. She pulled a butt muscle. Mm. And, uh, and she went down. And uh, there were about 15, 15 people that were ready to massage that out. <laughs> Get that Charlie horse out of uh, yeah as fast as possible. <laughs> was she just as gorgeous in real life? Oh yeah, oh yeah, seven of them. Yeah, uh, Jerry, but her name was uh, her family name. Or I met her dad is Zimmerman. Oh. Uh, she's uh, German hmm. uh, originally, and uh, he was he had a German accent. Harry, her dad, he was from he lived. I think they lived in Kentucky or Tennessee at that point. But he was visiting the stage during that um, shoot, or maybe it was a convention later. Uh, it might have been a convention. I can't remember. But I met him. He was uh, he was in law enforcement, uh, actually. But he was great and uh, a neat guy. And, uh, yeah, she is stunningly, stunningly beautiful. I have several um, action figures of her. <laughs> yeah, so do I. In fact, I have one right in front of me. I've got seven of nine clothes. Working with Beverly Leach, how was that? I don't remember. You know, I actually don't remember very much. I was sort of um, very nervous. Uh, because I wasn't sure, I didn't think I was old enough to play her dad convincingly, and it was it's film, and the camera's right on top of you. And uh, I was worried about that most of the time. Um, I really don't think I had that much conversation with her outside of the actual scenes. Yeah, it was, it was a professional relationship. I never, I didn't, I didn't sit around much. I was, I was fairly new to Hollywood at that point. I think I hadn't done much, and so every. Every major thing that was involved on a, a TV episode or whatever was uh, was very important to me. And I, uh, excuse me, I've never been uh, very relaxed. I, actually, I don't like acting very much. I, I prefer not to be looked at. Really? Yeah, I, I, I really do. So I loved being behind all that uh, latex and wigs and costume for uh, the Star Trek stuff. I, uh, that, that was good for me. But I, uh, the rest of it is sort of, I much prefer... Uh, directing, you know, in the theater, I've spent most of my time directing and acting, but uh, half of my time has been directing, and, and later on I started writing, so I write uh, screenplays now. But um, What are some of the plays you directed? Oh, a lot of Shakespeare, uh, a lot of outdoor Shakespeare, a lot of touring company Shakespeare. I've done a lot of um, associated classics, Victor Hugo, you know, Count of Monte Cristo, where I have to get my resume for the things I've directed. <laughs> Plays called uh, uh, Perfect Analysis Given by a Parent by Tennessee Williams, uh, Uncle Vanya, the other uh, Chekhov's, uh, The Boar, The Proposal. Uh, a lot of classic theater, basically, and some brand new plays. I took a new play to uh, New York called Practice about a street hockey team in uh, Queens, New York in 1950. And I had, there were about 18 people in it, and nine of them were on roller skates all the time. So 
because it was a roller skating team, you know, a, a street hockey team. And that was fun. That was, uh, spent a lot of time. I just did a, a production of 1776 here in uh, Ithaca, and I did Mr. and Neil Simon's Biloxi Blues, you know, all kinds of things here. They say they hire a lot of uh, stage actors for Star Trek because it's very almost Shakespearean-like, especially Klingons. Well, I, I attribute it to this. I think that Shakespeare, it's a rarefied language. You know, it's verse for the most part. So you have to make the verse sound like conversation. And it's a very heightened form of speech, but you have to make it sound like it's almost every day. You have to, you have to make it believable to the audience. So Shakespearean actors have, have practiced in, in doing that, speaking in a, high, a heightened, sort of a heightened reality. So that when you're playing aliens, and that's, you know, so many of us uh, ended up playing aliens on Star Trek, you were often talking in some sort of heightened form, but you had to make it sound as if it were believable and very real. So that's the, the, the people with their little Shakespearean training have a better chance at bridging that gap, you know. And I think it's, uh, Rene Aubergenois was, he was at ACT before I was there, and uh, Armin Schumerman was at ACT before I was there. It was one of the best classical theater repertory companies in the country for a long time in San Francisco. And a lot of people had training in Shakespeare and a huge theater background. Casey, Casey Biggs used to get, he was there in New York when I was in New York, and he would get cast as everything. You know, he's a handsome guy. He got every role that I was auditioning for. Casey Biggs and a guy named, uh, I think it was Boyd Douglas. Bruce, oh, Bruce Davidson was also about the same vintage, and he would get the rest of the stuff in case he didn't get <laughs> and uh, would leave old John out, out of the running. But I did all right. But, uh, yeah, so a lot of us have a Shakespeare background. For that reason, I think that's why they cast us. You did a lot of Deep Space Nine. It says uh, 27 episodes on IMDb. Does it? I don't know. Your favorite character of all those you did was probably, what, Martok? Yeah, an actor doesn't have a chance to work on a character very often, but over four years. And Martok gave me that opportunity. You know, usually you have, for a show, you have like four weeks of rehearsal for a stage play. And that's, you know, you become familiar with the character for four weeks, then you do it for another four weeks, and then you're done. But with television, with, uh, you know, a series, those guys can work on their characters for seven years. And, uh, and I was lucky. I had a recurring character that came on. So I got to work on it for four years. And they, when you work over a period of time like that, everything becomes um, refined. And the writers start writing for you because they see what you've done and they take what you've done and they make it more. <laughs> you know, you, you see what they've given you, you make it more. They, they see what you've taken from it and they give you more. You know, that, that's the way it works. And so that was a great, because it was, uh, Martok was over a period of four years, it was a great uh, canvas to work on. One of my favorite video games back then was the Star Trek Klingon game. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the filming of that, and was that different from filming a television episode in any way, or? Well, not really, except they had several. You have to do several uh, possibilities because the guy, the uh, actor, whoever the game person is, is going to be uh, making a choice. He has to do it three separate outcomes for every large moment. But that happened because I auditioned for it, and uh, there was a sequence uh, where Bob O'Reilly did the lead, of course, the plan. Right. And I auditioned for something. I forget what it was. I don't know. Anyway, there was a long sequence where he had to speak Klingon. And I said, 
when I was preparing for it, I said, oh, what am I going to do? I can't speak. I don't know what the Klingon sounds like. I don't know what kind of accent. I, I don't know. I, well, I, let me see if I do. I'll just, I'll speak in a foreign language. I'll do it in French. No, French sounds like French. I'll do it with, no, it doesn't. Spanish is, oh, I'll, I'll do a piece of Latin because I took a lot of Latin in high school and college. And uh, my mother was a Latin teacher in high school. And so I did uh, Cicero's fourth oration against Catiline. And I came to this part where it said, uh, we're supposed to be speaking in Klingon. I said, boss, you do not understand. This is the Klingon way. thought that character was really good in the video game because it showed how older Klingons were treated if they didn't die in battle. Well, that's right. That's right. It got there. That, he was the one that chose the, either the, the weak, the infirm, the feeble to attack, and uh, that was what my character supposedly was supposed to be, the one that the Patak would attack. Using Klingon philosophy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny you use Klingon words and I understand them, so. Yeah. Klingons have like a subset of Star Trek fans that are all about the Klingons. Do you have a like a more rabid fan base because you portrayed so many Klingons? You know what I have? It's an odd thing on Facebook. What I have is a lot of people that are fans of the show. They're Klingon fans, and Klingons are very. I'd say they're they're much. They're pretty much on the right end of uh, of the political spectrum. Tend toward almost a fascist approach to. Uh, to politics. And for that reason, I have a lot of people that are, I mean, I am a screaming lefty for the most part. And it, it just, it absolutely shocks people that are my Klingon fan base that I'm, I'm over there. But on the other hand, I'm not a, uh, my background is, Hurtful is an Amish name. And the Amish are pacifists. The Amish do not go to war. But on the other hand, I was a linebacker in uh, college, and linebackers live for going to war. So I have a strange, conflicting personality, conflicted personality, that so many of the Klingon fans that are out there are surprised at my political positions, but they enjoy my the vehemence of my <laughs> positions and the passions in which they're stated. So that's, uh, but it's an odd mix of. Uh, fashion and uh, liberalism. I had a chance to check out your Facebook. You had some good stuff on there. Yeah, I, I have a, I have some wonderful arguments with people, and uh, but mainly my birthday just went by, so I, I was stumped. I had like over a thousand people wishing me happy birthday. I said, that's, I'm impressed. That's awesome, yeah. How was <laughs> your birthday? Awesome. March 18th, right? How was your birthday? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't talk about it at this age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're finally old enough in real life to play Catherine Farrington's father. 
exactly. <laughs> I am I am old enough now to do that role, and I could kill in that role now. But I was very nervous back in the day. <laughs> I, I saw that video you put up there about the they opened the gun shop and each gun had a story on it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I think everybody should watch that. Oh well, that was very interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people and I said, look. They weren't. They weren't actually selling guns. It was a propaganda film, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a propaganda for the uh, something that I believe in. And I and I wanted to it wanted to point out to people that there's the you know the the downside of weapons that is you know it's awful, and uh, because people you know the, the, I said there's propaganda both ways, and uh, so I, I said don't look at it as if they were breaking any laws. They weren't trying to really sell guns. They were just making a point. And, um, but I, I tell you, I've got a lot of, that was an interesting uh, explosion of opinions on that one. Mm-hmm. But it's good. I mean, uh, I, yeah. nobody seems to dislike me terribly because of my opinions and vice versa. Oh, there you, you go. Know, which is the way it should be. Tell me a little bit about, if you could, uh, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., one of my favorite series growing up. You know, I've never, ever seen that. I've never seen that episode. I play an actor, <laughs> which is not the first time I've played an actor. I've been an actor playing an actor. But I, the biggest piece of that for me was meeting uh, Morgan Woodward, and that old cowboy actor. That, uh, he's probably gone now. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But he was Shotgun Gibbs. Uh, one of my favorite shows growing up was um, Wider with Hugh O'Brien. And uh, I believe, and I might have this wrong, but I believe... His sidekick was a guy named Shotgun Gibbs, and I believe Morgan Woodward played that role. I think I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, well, that's me. Mm-hmm. But that was, you know, he, he and he drives a caddy with giant longhorn horns mounted on the uh, on the hood, believe it or not. <laughs> but he does. He was one of the bounty hunters. He was the main bounty hunter on that show. And I, actually, I've never seen it, so I don't know. It's worth a watch. Oh, I love Bruce uh, Campbell. You yeah. know, he's a he's a tremendous comedy performer and a great actor. I just uh, I love watching him too. I love working with him. Something um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Star Trek Axanar. Yeah, no, it's a, we did the prelude to Axanar, which was a great idea for a uh, trailer for a film to raise money for the main Kickstarter project. But this Alec Peters, who's the producer and um, co-writer, well, along with Christian Gossett, the director, and he plays Garth in it has done everything right, like I've never seen before. I mean, they've done, they have put together a, the most professional, there were two days of, I think there were probably four days of shooting, but some of us were there for only two days for that trailer. It was a green screen trailer, but the studio, when we, when we went into the studio, they rented an old, um, one of the old studios of either RKO or, uh, oh man, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Charlie Chaplin, but it was one of the original, you know, one of the early filmmakers in uh, in Hollywood, and they brought in uh, department heads that were all professionals, and they had a lot of volunteers, but they were all led by professionals. So it was the most well-executed, professionally executed shoot that I've been... It's just as special as anything else I've ever done. And uh, all the actors, Tony and Kate and Gary and Richard, we were all impressed by, wow. You know, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And they've done a great job. And I didn't think the script would work. And then I saw it and I said, wow, this is really good. And Tobias Richter, the guy who does the the CGI, he is from 
Dusseldorf, which is where that jet was headed that just crashed in the French Alps. Mm. Uh, and that's a horrible thing going on over there. But mm. um, but that's where he's, he does his work out of Dusseldorf. And uh, it's just that's what filmmaking has become. You can do the CGI halfway around the world. And they do really good, really good. It's incredible work. And put it together uh, in, uh, you know, digitally. It's amazing what you can do. Uh, Alec is doing the, as good a work in professional managing, a, uh, you know, a studio project that I've ever seen. So I have nothing but great things to say. The script has uh, just been locked for the full move and looks like we're shooting sometime in October. Once I saw that trailer, I was uh, very excited to see if when it came out. Yeah, I think we're going to be shooting in October, which means they're going to be able to release it for the following summer, pretty much. Uh, it takes that long to, to do post, but um, it's, it's, it looks good. It looks good, and I, of course, I, you know, I fell in love with Kate, and we all fell in love with each other. The actors, we've done a couple of conventions together, and we've had way too much fun. <laughs> uh, but it's been really great. And, Is that uh, why you do the fan projects? No, it's really not. It's For me, it's a job that ha- happens to have the reward of working with some wonderful talent. And that's not always the case. But when it is the case, it makes it all way beyond worthwhile. It makes it all the reason we're doing this business, to work together to create something that's very special. And that's the whole point of uh, filmmaking and theater, for that matter. Um, it doesn't always work out that way, but this time it is. And it's uh, pretty special. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Love your voice. You've uh, done a lot of voice acting. Yeah, I'm available to do more. Do you know anybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I do. And uh, when I left L.A., I left uh, to come over here to teach at Cornell. And um, that took me out of the, basically out of the acting business pretty much. Uh, because I was, uh, you know, you have to be there to uh, to interview and meet people for things and whatnot. So when I went to northern, uh, upstate New York, forget about it. Because I was too far to drive into New York to read for things. and But they occasionally call me in to do uh, voiceovers for things. So I go into New York and do them in there. Oh, and I just did the narrator for my daughter. She just, uh, it opened and closed, a the high school production, of, the Trumansburg High School production of Beauty and the Beasts, where I played the narrator at the beginning. I said, once upon a time in a land far, far away, there lived a handsome young prince in a shining castle. You know, and that's and it went on from there, but I love doing that for my daughter. That's awesome that you did that for your daughter. Yeah, exactly. They are the best. How old is your daughter? My daughter is two and a half. She's awesome. Her name is Serenity, and I love her. Oh, wow. Yeah. So two and a half. You got a lot of fine years ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a great age. You got yeah. the next six years are going to be wonderful. And then it changes, and there's, then it gets even better. <laughs> but the six, you know, reaching down for that little hand when uh, you cross the street or walk in the parking lot or whatever, yeah. there's nothing better than that, Dad. Melts my heart every day. Yeah. Going back to Quantum Leap, do you have any other memories of things that happened or maybe a particular day on the set that stands out in your memory while filming Seabride? I don't remember much except the uh, the big dance number. You know, uh, uh, Scott Bakula is basically a song and dance guy. Yeah. Did a lot of musicals before he got into um, uh, television and film, and so he did. There was a big ballroom scene, and uh, he got a chance to do some ballroom dancing with Ms. Leach, and um, that was pretty exciting to watch him because he's he's really good. <laughs> he's really good. He's a good at dancer. He's a good uh, just good all around dancer. But that ballroom had a big band in it, 
they played big band numbers and there was a live singer, you know, and I love, I love big bands. And, uh, so that for me, that was very special too, because not only did I not have to dance, but I could be there to listen to the big band. Music. That was great. That sounds like a fun day. Like I'm getting paid for this. This is awesome. It was, it wasn't, well, it was about eight days, but it was, yeah, it was awesome for eight times over. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that long to absolutely. shoot the episode or to just that yeah. scene? Yeah, no, well, oh, well, yeah, the episode was about eight days. Okay. The scene, yeah, uh, I don't know, the scene was a couple of days because it was big. It involved a lot of extras. There were a lot of people on stage, so that always takes longer. Was that on the Queen Mary as well? Yeah, it was, everything was shot on the Queen Mary. It was, uh. The original, you know, the, they had an old ball. They had old ballrooms on the on the Queen Mary. They had the pools. They had the decks. They had the deck chairs. They had everything was there. I mean, it was absolutely fascinating for that reason alone. It was on board that great old ship. You know, there was a major. Uh, she had a major part in World War II. Uh, Queen Mary was, uh, you know, ferried troops for. It was a, because it was fast. It was an ocean liner. And it was built to cruise fast, so it was one of the best ones they had, even though she was huge, uh, to shuttle troops because she could cut really uh, really fast through the shipping lanes, and the U-boats wouldn't have a chance to catch up because they weren't as fast as that big old, uh, she had three stacks, and she was, yeah, she was a fast old ship. Thank you very much. I think this has been a Kepla. Kepla. <laughs> <laughs> right. Excellent. Well, that's good. 